Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Hey, if you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. We're glad to have you here. This is a special day for our church. We've been talking about a vision that we've had to try to accomplish four pretty big tasks. As Jay shared just a moment ago, for them to be able to purchase property in Japan and plant more churches, it's going to take an act of God. And the four initiatives that we have in front of us is bigger than us. It's going to be something that God's going to have to have moved in us. And so you're on a day that we're going to collect those commitments, and we're glad you're with us. Just enjoy the morning with us. Worship Jesus with us. That would be uh, our privilege to have you do that with us this morning. Uh, We have been in Luke chapter 12. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 12, looking specifically at some warnings that Jesus gave. Let me give you the context so you understand that the background helps us understand this particular text. What we have is Jesus is surrounded by a mixed crowd of people. Now, they all want the same thing. They want Jesus to do what they want him to do. The religious leaders want him to go away. The crowd wants him to perform miracles. And the disciples want him to reveal more about who he is so they know what to follow. And it's in that background that we have the context for what he's about to do. Last week, we looked at two of the warnings that Jesus gave. He, he came to warn them because they were trying to get him to do what they want him to do. And he was warning them from doing that. What he told us last week was, he told us to beware of hypocrisy. He said, don't act like the world wants you to act because the world's only using you for their profit. He said, and don't act a certain way in front of God like you can fool him. Be who you are, come to God as you are, and allow him to change you. So he told us to reject hypocrisy and be aware of it. The second thing he talked about last week was, he said, uh, be trusting. Beware of greed and be aware of worry. You see, the first two that we talked about last week, and there'll be three today, these five warnings in Luke chapter 12 are significant. The first two warnings are about things that could keep us from living out the life that Jesus wants us to live. Greed and worry and hypocrisy. Those things combined can keep us from experiencing the life that the grace of Jesus Christ offers us. The three warnings we're going to talk about this morning concern things that will distract us from hearing God's voice. Now, Luke 12, I'm going to give you some deep, profound truth right here. Luke 12 follows Luke 11. Did you guys write that down? You want to remember that? Well, the reason it's important to remember that we're in Luke 12, not Luke 11, because in Luke 11, he talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is warning us about is hearing the voice of God and rejecting it. So in Luke 12, as Jesus talks to this mixed audience, he brings up the five warnings that can dull our hearing, that can keep us from listening to the voice of God. And ultimately, if we don't listen to the voice of God, we'll reject the movement of God in our lives. So, two last week. Don't be a hypocrite. And don't get caught up in greed and worry. Third warning of this chapter, first of this morning, is beware of losing focus. It's a pretty simple warning. He tells us to beware of losing focus. He shifts the emphasis on those things that keeps us from having the best life to things that can keep us from even being aware of what God has in store for us. 
the ways to conquer hypocrisy, greed, and worry is to focus on the Lord's return. So this is one of those ultimate questions that really I'm assuming, and it's a false assumption sometimes. So I need to ask the question. Feel free to respond. Do you believe Jesus when he says he will return? Because if you do, and some don't, but if you do, then the Lord's Supper we just celebrated together matters. If he's not coming back, it doesn't matter. Because he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. The giving that you just gave. If Jesus isn't coming back, the monies you just gave don't matter. They're going to just pay for insignificant things. But if we believe that Jesus is returning, if he's good for his word, then the warnings he's about to give us matter. Like, don't lose your focus. He's telling us that it is okay for us to live in a future tense in our present reality. It's okay for us to know he's coming back, and although he hasn't returned yet, we can still live as if that truth is already fulfilled, can't we? So I was thinking all week long, how do I articulate this for people that are like, ah, I don't get it. Let me put it this way. Heather and I got married a thousand years ago in 1987, and I moved into the apartment. You've heard me tell some of this. I moved into the apartment about three months before we got married, and we began. Now, I got to be careful because first hour accused me of saying we lived together. We did not. What I said is we acted as if we were married by buying things together for an apartment we would one day hold together. I got to enjoy all those things before Heather arrived, but up to our wedding in June and July going into August, there was this sensation between the two of us that we were, although it hadn't happened yet, we were making all the steps toward being married, except consummating the marriage and living in the same place. We bought a toaster. We bought a coffee pot. I don't know why. Neither one of us ever drank coffee, but we had a coffee pot. We started doing and preparing our lives in the present reality for the future tense. Church, are you with me? And yet as Christians, do we do that enough? I would suggest we don't. I would suggest that some of us, including your preacher, live certain moments of their present reality, not based on the future promise, but saying, well, that will happen another day. And Jesus said, don't lose focus. His promise to return casts all of these warnings on solid foundation. So what we're going to look at is he gives two little mini parables here, and let's walk through them. The first of the three this morning is going to be lengthier than the other two, so don't think, oh my gosh, we'll never get out of here. You will. Two or three this afternoon, you'll be fine, okay? (laughs) Keep yourself ready is the first warning within focus. Keep yourself ready, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. It's an interesting parable. Remember, a parable is Jesus saying, imagine a world like this. 
said, imagine that, and you have to understand the wedding ceremony of those days. It's not that complicated, but it's so different than ours. The groom would announce a rough date, like a week long, when he may appear to pick up his bride. And the groom and his procession would go to the bride's house at an unannounced time. They may say, I will be there next week. Next week could be Monday, it could be Wednesday, it could be Friday, it could be Saturday at midnight or 1159. Part of the suspense of this was the bride not knowing when he would show up at her house. Now, some of you right now, you brides, are sweating. Because it was rough enough to get to the hour you exactly knew it was going to take place. But the groom would show up with his procession, and he would take the bride's hand, and he would lead the bride back to his house, and there would be this great celebration. But part of the anticipation, it wasn't a punishment. It wasn't a trick. It was a celebration and anticipation, and it created this energy. I loved when my boys were younger, and they knew that one of their grandparents were coming to visit. They would ask this beautiful question, how much longer? Is it today? Are they coming today? We'd say, no, no, it's, it's going to be later in the week. Well, how long? You know, I didn't say to them, it's going to be 108 hours. No, that would, they wouldn't understand that. I'd say, it's soon. And they would get so excited about the fact that grandma or grandma and grandpa were coming. And Jesus says, be ready. I will come back. And I won't come back when you necessarily, you may think I'm never coming back because I delay. But he said, when the master comes home, and isn't it a beautiful picture I want you to follow with me what Jesus said. The groom will go get his bride, take her by the hand, and with great ceremony, lead her back to his house. Doesn't that sound like the book of Revelation? Doesn't that sound like the groom, Jesus, is coming back for his bride, the church, and he's going to take all of us where? To the house he's prepared for us, and if, it weren't not, if he said, if it weren't so, wouldn't I have told you? This whole picture of the consummation of this anticipation is not a punishment, it's a celebration. And Jesus said, but oh, if the master comes back with his bride to the wedding celebration and the servants have forgotten to be ready, wouldn't that be horrible? Wouldn't that be awkward? Larry Stout, one of our elders and a good friend of mine, uh, told me one time that he was trained for the police academy by a Vietnam veteran and the veteran taught him this simple truth. If you are always ready, you never need to get ready. I like that. You know what Jesus is saying? If you're living your life in anticipation of my return, if you're living the future tense in the present reality, you're ready. So if you're not, get ready. It's a simple fix. You see, Jesus has promised us a future with him. So how in the world can our present be without him? If he's promised that we're going to spend eternity with him and that eternity started now, then how can we live a day without his presence and living ready for him to come? Now, I'm not saying go in the attic of your house, staring out the window, waiting for the skies to unroll. He didn't tell us to do that. In fact, the next thing he teaches, the next presentation or parable he presents answers, how do we know we're ready? Keep yourself involved in the work. Be ready. And how do you do that? Keep yourself involved in the work. Look at verse 41. Peter asks a brilliant question. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Peter wants a lens to be able to discover. See, there's a crowd. There's the Pharisees. There's the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers. They want him dead. There's the crowd. They want miracles. There's disciples. They want him. And he says, who are you telling that to? Jesus' response, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? 
it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he will not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Yikes. That's a tough teaching. Peter says, Lord, are you talking to us or are you talking to them? And Jesus said, I'm talking to all of you. But I'm telling you that I've given responsibility to my servants. If you follow Jesus, you're not only to be ready, living for the future tense in the present reality, but there, are, there is stuff for us to do. Christianity is not just believing he's going to one day come back. It's living like it and inviting people to be ready. There's something we can do. You see, he says, and there's great responsibility. And to those who are given responsibility, like feeding Peter, Feeding and caring for the other servants? Isn't that what he'll tell him in John 21 on the beach at the end of his ministry when he'll say to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, yes, yes. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter had something to do while he waited. And Jesus even alludes to the fact that there will be a length of time before he comes back. He says, some of you will get tired of waiting. Be ready. Some of you will get tired of waiting. Keep doing what I've asked you to do because when the master comes back and he said he would remember this is all premised on him returning when he comes back did you notice verse oh, let me find it here it's interesting all the way back up there in verse 40 or 37 did you notice what the master will do when he comes back he says I'll tell you the truth he'll serve you he'll what the master is going to come back and serve the people who are only doing what they were asked to do the master is going to return and bless those. Fascinating. See, a master doesn't do that. A master comes home after a trip and his servants take care of him. They get him his favorite cup of tea. They get him his favorite dessert. They put his pillow behind his chair so he can turn on the ball game and relax. Not our master. Our master is going to come back and serve every one of us. Just like he washed the feet of the disciples on the last night. Jesus said, when the master comes back, he'll take care of you. 1 Corinthians 4.2 tells us why we serve, why we discipline our lives, why we get ourselves ready and do what we're asked to do, not because we're earning points. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Jesus is trusting us, so don't lose focus. Remember he's coming back, and what a pleasure it will be for those who believe in him, that when he comes back, we look at each other like, I knew it. And the rest of the world is going to be, oh my, I never thought it would happen. The second warning of the morning is beware of divided loyalty. Jesus now speaks so specifically to his disciples. He's going to share with us the cost of being focused is great. Verse 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. 
From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I think it's funny that he didn't put son-in-law against mother-in-law. I guess that was just a natural. Did you all see that? He just assumed that was a given. But Jesus said, all joking aside, Jesus said, now listen, you think I came to bring peace? And he did, didn't he? How many of us this morning can testify to our neighbors that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ? So he did. But did Jesus bring the kind of peace the world wanted? No. Has Jesus, let me use key terms. Has Jesus wrecked families? Yeah. Has he wrecked careers? Yeah. Has he divided father against son and daughter against mother? Yeah. Because you see, what we've understood on the other side of the cross is there is nothing greater in this world than knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and experiencing him as our Savior. There's nothing greater. There's no possession. There's no job. There's no relationship. Now, Jesus isn't a jerk. He's not saying go home and split your family up because you're so pious that you're better than everybody else. He's not saying that. He's saying when you follow me to death, it will kill things along the way. It will kill things that aren't as important. You say family's not important? No, it's gravely important. But family will never understand its full importance until it's based on who Jesus Christ is and who your family is in him. The world measures it differently. You see, Jesus has promised us a future with him, so how can our present be without him? You see, what Jesus is asking us to do is exactly what he did. He said to his father, is there any other way for you to do what you need to do for this world than the cross. And God didn't answer. So Jesus said, thy will be done. So he's saying to us that there will come a moment in every one of our lives where loyalty to Jesus will be asked of us and it will cost us something that we have placed great value on. And will we take up our cross and die? Or will we say to Jesus that you're asking too much Because Jesus is only asking us to go through what he himself would go through for others. And he's asking us to do the same for him. He's never turned his back on us. How could we ever turn our back on him? So he's warned us. Watch out about being a hypocrite. Watch out about getting caught up in things that cause worry and greed. Be careful of losing your focus. I am coming back. And beware of divided loyalties. Choose me Choose my kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. And lastly, beware of ignoring the warning signs. And he calls for two things, two illustrations here. To ignore the warning signs, he tells us to beware of this and so practice discernment. It's the word I want to use. Be discerning. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Just don't get caught up in the entertainment value of living life here in our country. But pay attention to what's happening. That precious little girl's face. Her name's Owie. Did you see how beautiful that young lady was? That big smile on her face when she was going into the baptistry that Jay just showed us? That young lady discerned her days. She measured the promise that this world offers her. She measured the promise of Jesus. And what did she choose? Based on his promise to return, she chose Jesus. She discerned her days. Verse 54. Jesus turning from the disciples back to the crowd. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. 
you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Jesus said, look at my miracles. Listen to my teaching. See what God is doing through me. See the glory of God on me and the glory that I reflect back on the Father. He said, pay attention to this. Church, we cannot become deaf to the movement of the Holy Spirit. This is what chapter 11 was about. Chapter 12 is warning us about the things that dull God's voice. He said, if you can read the skies and know the weather, why can't you read your days and understand where it's taking you? So how do we respond to that? How do we respond with discernment? Well, when we have discernment, then we'll have repentant obedience. Let me show you where I, dis- where I received that from the text. Repentant obedience. Not just saying, I'm sorry, but saying, I need to respond. Verses 58 and 59. As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you pay the last penny. This is a very interesting illustration Jesus uses to a large crowd. He says, if you've screwed up and you know you've screwed up, denying that you screwed up is a fool's game. What should you do? You break something. I remember being a kid. When my little brother is six and a half years younger than me, I'm the third of four boys, my little brother Eric, six and a half years younger. I loved that kid till he could talk. Not because he said stupid things later, he did, we all do. But when he couldn't talk, he was the foil for everything we ever broke. We threw a football, we broke a lamp. My mom, who broke the lamp? Oh, Eric fell into the table. I mean, it was perfect. Covered a multitude of sins. My mom never believed us one time, I wonder why. And we got more trouble for not answering the question properly the first time than actually breaking the lamp. You parents understand that. You moms specifically. My mom's like, I know you broke it. Eric couldn't reach that table. But we broke the lamp with the football. And my mom said, if you just told me the truth, the punishment would have been half. Jesus is saying, when you've messed up and you know your life's not right, to deny your life's not right because you're protecting yourself means that when the truth comes out and you appear before the judge, wow, maybe this is often a prophetic image too. When you appear before the judge, do you think you're going to get away with this? He's saying, wake up. Because what Jesus offers us is not a judge who wants to throw us away. Here's a judge who's offering us mercy. Remember in chapter 11, they denied that what Jesus was doing was godly. He's saying, why would you not change your ways knowing who I am? And that sure makes repentant obedience a better deal, doesn't it? Because instead of us fearing punishment, we get to walk into grace and mercy. Jesus said, I'm going to come back as judge. But I don't come here to judge. I come here to free. I come here to give life. I come here to offer mercy. I come here to heal the sick and to take those who don't receive justice and offer them life. You see, Jesus has promised us a future with him. So why in the world would our present be without him? Don't lose focus. Be ready. Not only be ready, be involved. Don't have a loyalty to the world. The greatest thing you'll know in life is to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, our creator God. The one who will forgive us our sins and give us purpose and provide a place for those that we know, that we love, that we serve, to be invited in So when the groom comes, they can be the bride. 
beware of ignoring the warning signs. Discern your days. And when your life and my life are not in alignment with God's plan, repent with obedience. Before we appear and pay every penny for our disobedience, Jesus said, I don't want you to have to pay for it. Accept my payment. So as a church, we're at that moment in time where all of this culminates in, and like I said, if you're visiting today, you, you can sit this one out. This is for our church. This is for people who call Christ Church their home. You received on your chair when you came in a commitment card. In just a moment, we're going to play a video that shows you how to fill out that commitment card if you've prepared yourself to do so. See, there's some things that are bigger than us. We want to help Jay and Yuma. We want to help them plant more churches. We want to help them buy property. We want to help them to raise up church planters that go into the second largest unchurched people group in the world and introduce them to Jesus Christ. So people like Yuma can stand up and share their story of, I never knew this was possible and now I do. We want to do a Thursday night worship service for unchurched people in our community. We want to do a remodel of our children's area and make that better and more usable for the teachers and for the kids. We want to build another building and provide an alternative worship place on Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, and other opportunities during the week. We want to do all these things, and they're big things, and they're expensive things, and it will, it will cause sacrifice or it won't happen. So we've asked you to pray and prepare for this. But when you go to the tables, if you bring your card, if we'd encourage you to come up as families, and there are, there are uh, Elijah will explain, there are tables all over the room. You can go to the nearest one to you. There are kids' toys on those tables. And it's not decorations, they're Legos. And there's a Lego for each color of the icon for the generation's motto, representing the four pillars. I've had these in my pocket for about three weeks now. And every time I reach in my my pocket to grab some gum or grab my keys or some change, I feel this. And I'm reminded that I I get to snap my story on to the book of Acts. I get to help by sacrificing what my family could use for itself, and we could, to be able to sacrifice a sacrifice so that we can become a part of this. That these four things that we've prayed about, if God lets us do them, what could happen for the kingdom? And I just snap myself into the story, and I, every time I feel this, it reminds me, you may set it on your desk or put it in your pocket or, or do whatever you want with it. Now, there was a complication today because one of my good friends in the church came up and and he went to put the four pieces together and he realized that two of the colors made Auburn colors and being an Alabama fan, he only took two. God is gracious. You can take one, you can take all four. Whatever is a reminder and a trigger to pray. Because no matter what money we raise, if the Lord's Spirit isn't in this, it's wasted, isn't it? This is a chance for us to pray for Japan to pray for our kids, to pray for the unchurched in this community, to pray for those looking for a church home, to be trained up, to be committed to Jesus. So take a Lego or two if you want. As you bring your commitment cards and put them up, Eliza will give you the time and place to do that. There is no guilt or pressure today. We're family. And this is an opportunity for the leadership of this church to understand the support level of our congregation, those who call Christ Church their home so that together we can discern by the Lord's leading what we might be able to do with these passions of ours. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.